Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 12 of the Pens Cast. Lucas Wester here with you as usual. And it's the first full-length episode that the Penguins have a fearless leader in Kyle Dubas. He is the interim general manager at this point, And he is officially, probably it sounds like for the next seven years, the president of hockey operations, which I predicted... Not the fact it was going to be him, but the fact it was going to be for a long time. Based on everything he said, it sounded like he was ready to ride this ship uh, through the storm, you know, through the next couple years of contending, or trying to contend at least, and then into the next chapter. He's going to be, he's going to be more known for the Penguins than he is for the Maple Leafs when it's all said and done, my opinion. But yeah, great stuff. Um, I mean... For those of you in Penguin fandom, which I'm assuming most of you are, if you want to sit through a Penguin podcast, um, the vibes are good right now. The vibes are really good. The outlook of this team is a lot better. Like I mentioned in the um, emergency episode I did last week, the vibes are very good with this team, with this organization. People see a path now to the future. And it's not like it's just going to be with the end of the uh, big three and then, you know, hit a cement wall. It seems as though there's actually a plan to try to keep things going and hit the ground running when inevitably they do hit the ground because they're not going to be great forever. We saw this year how uh, defeatable this team can be even with those guys. So without those guys, you know, it's going to be rough, but things are on the up. Things are looking good. Um, Penguin fans seem to be doing great with this. 
I'm sure there's an, like an older generation of Penguins fans who aren't as happy about this because Kyle Dubas definitely represents the new age executive, not as much as the old, you know, guy. Like, just think, we're two in a, two years and a few months removed from having Jim Rutherford as our general manager. That dude is pushing eighty. I'm thinking at least in the seventies. I don't remember. We had Brian Burke as our president of hockey ops just two months ago. And now we have Kyle Dubas. So a big shift there in, you know, philosophy and just overall, uh, from top to bottom, that organization is going to change for the better. So all good things. But in my emergency episode, I didn't get to talk as much about Kyle Dubas's, you know, actual history and what he's accomplished, what he's done. I talked about the team's performance, but I want to talk more about what he's actually done with his teams because ultimately his decisions, uh, I don't think completely affected how the Maple Leafs performed. I actually just wrote an article with um, pro sports fans. Um, I'm going to post that link once it gets uploaded. I just wrote an article about how it was the core that failed him more and how I think his work, you know, working around the perimeter of that and really filling out the rest of the lineup was really good. But it was just those four guys who spent, you know, half of his salary cap. Those are the guys that failed him. Wasn't as much, you know, um, Kyle's doing, in my opinion. But it, it is worth looking at what he has done in the past with the caveat that it seems now everybody knows at least in, you know, if you're in the know, that Brendan Shanahan, his superior in Toronto, the president of the team, he was kind of had his hand, you know, on everything. So there were decisions that were made that probably were influenced by Shanahan. There were decisions that were, decisions rather, that were, you know, redacted and, you know, rejected because of Shanahan. The big one example that I've heard, um, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet mentioned multiple times was last deadline. There was a deal with the Blackhawks with, um, you know, obviously with the Leafs that would bring in Marc-Andre Fleury, the goaltender, obviously, and Brendan Hagel. And inevitably, the Blackhawks ended up sending Fleury to Minnesota and Hagel to Tampa Bay separately. They got a big haul for Hagel. They got two first-round picks for him. Flurry, I don't remember what the um, cost was, but there was a big deal, and I think it involved Toronto's first-round pick last year, as well as their top prospect, Matthew Nyes, who at that point hadn't played an NHL game, but has since the end of this season uh, played a few games. Um, And it sounds like Brandon Shanahan is the one who vetoed that, but that was something Dubas was big on, so... So yeah, I'm going to go through. He had a small stint as interim general manager in 2015 between, um, I think it was the David Nonis and Lula Morello eras. Let me double check that. I don't want to sound wrong. Yep, that's exactly it. So David Nonis was fired April 12th, 2015. Lamorello was hired July 23rd, 2015. So in between that era, or I guess between those two eras, Dubas did have the um, ultimate say, I'm sure, but with Shanahan's, uh, you know, lead. 
But it wasn't as if nothing significant happened in those few months. That was kind of the decision. That was kind of the time where the Leafs decided to fully uh, bend into the whole going to be bad thing. So some things did happen there. And on May 20th, the Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas, but I'm sure this wasn't his executive decision, traded a third, well, compensated the Red Wings a third round pick for Mike Babcock. They signed him into a seven-year deal, which I think is just expiring now because he's going to be named the Blue Jackets uh, head coach, which is hilarious. Um, A little after that in June, while he's still interim, he traded Greg McKegg for Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman ended up being a great Toronto Maple Leaf. He was probably the best partner that Matthews had on his left side in his tenure so far. It's kind of been split between Hyman and Bunting. Hyman was fantastic. He's been doing great in Edmonton. That was just a fantastic trade that worked out really well. And something that has been noted a lot recently, especially because now that um, Dubas is in charge here and the Penguins have that 14th overall pick, he is the CEO of um, trading first round picks back. Oh, excuse me. He... In 2015, at the draft, he had the 24th overall pick, which was Nashville's pick. I'm not sure how they got that, but traded it back to the Flyers, and he got 29th and 61st uh, back in compensation. Then promptly traded 29th to Columbus and got 34 and 68 for it. So he traded, he basically gave away the 24th overall pick and got back 34, 68, and 61. He has philosophies on the value of picks, and uh, it's worked pretty well for him. We're going to go through his draft record in a little bit here, but it seems like it hasn't done him wrong necessarily. Um, let's look through some more of these trades. He got Mart Marin- Mart Marinchin as well during that small tenure, and the big one in between that time period was the Phil Castle deal. Like I'm like I said before, and I'm going to preface it again, this was probably not all his doing. This is way too big of a deal for him to just decide to do on his own. However, um, in his tenure as interim general manager, his Toronto Maple Leafs traded Phil Kessel with 15% of his salary retained, Tim Erickson, Tyler Biggs, and a 2016 second round pick in exchange for Kasperi Kapanen, a 30th overall pick, which they ended up trading, of course, um, 72nd overall pick, uh, Scott Harrington and Nick Spalling. Huge deal. If you look at it from face value, I think the Leafs did all right in that deal. Kapanen provided them with uh, a lot of years as a good, you know, middle six forward never really got first-line opportunities, but was very fast in his um, and productive, I think, in his time in Toronto as well, and provided them an asset that they later would recoup from the Penguins, and they got a lot of, uh, in that, they got a lot of uh, assets in that deal. We'll get to that one in a little bit here. Uh, but I don't think they did terrible in the Kessel deal. I think the worst part of it was probably that salary retained, but they were going to be bad for those years anyways, so it probably didn't matter too much in the long run. Scott Harrington and Nick Spalling were just depth guys, did not matter too much. The big things were the first, uh, the third, and Kapanen, essentially for Kessel in a second. Biggs and Erickson never did anything for the Penguins, so I don't really include them. Um, yeah, and then later 
in in the offseason in July of the 2015, they acquired Lula Morello for a third round pick as well, just like they did Babcock. And then there's years of nothing because Lamorello was the general manager. But in 2018, that all changed. Dubas takes the realm. And his first big deal was once again trading back in the draft. His team had 25th overall in the 2018 draft. They traded it to St. Louis. And they got back 29 and 76. Now, what were those picks? 25, the one the Blues got, was Dominic Bach who at the time was a pretty promising forward prospect. I don't know if he has any games played. Let me take a look here. No, he has not played an NHL game yet, so he hasn't amounted to much quite yet. Oh, excuse me. But the 29th overall pick, who was that, you ask? That was Rasmus Sandin, who definitely played big games, big minutes for the Leafs in his tenure. He got them back a first-round pick um, from the Capitals which was the Boston Bruins pick, which actually might end up being somewhere around 28, 29 as well. So they may have just flipped that down the road, that pick. But they also got the 76th overall pick, which uh, I can never pronounce this guy's name, but it's he goes by SDA, Semyon Der Archinichesev. I'm sorry, that's totally wrong, but I can never do it. He's a young forward prospect. He had a lot of promise when he was coming up. It's kind of died off a little bit. He spent a lot of time down in the uh, the AHL. Not sure if he's going to amount to anything. But nonetheless, they got good value with that trade. That trade was worthwhile mainly because they got the better first-round pick. But also, that third-round pick seems to have some value to him as well. July 3rd of 2018, he's able to dump the Matt Martin contract back to the Islanders, which was abysmal, which is really bad. And this is an era now. Leafs are no longer trying to be bad. They're trying to be good. And he was taking up $2.5 million in cap. He's able to dump that easily. Um, right before the season starts in 2018, he's, he dumps Connor Carrick to the Stars for a seventh. Another uh, cap-relieving little deal there. Moving forward, he traded some some smaller guys. Andrew Nielsen, Josh Levo. Uh, nothing big really here. His first big trade comes in January 2019. His first big trade is full-time GM, where he acquires Jake Muzzin from the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for Carl Grundstrom, Sean Dersey, and a first-round pick in that year. Jake Muzzin, obviously now revisionist history, it seems like he's going to be on LTIR. It doesn't seem like he's going to probably play again, which is very unfortunate, but that's obviously not confirmed, but it seems like that's the case. Carl Grundstrom is great but it came at a time where the uh, Leafs had a ton of you know young offensive depth so they didn't really need him so it made sense to move him move off of him Sean Dursey was a young uh, defenseman who hadn't signed yet with the Maple Leafs but was a former second round pick had a lot of promise and if you look at him now in Los Angeles he's doing fantastic that first round pick was Tobias uh, Bjornfoot not sure uh, what he's going to become, but he still has some promise. He's still a young guy. I still think that uh, he could become something. But at the time, Jake Muzzin brought something to the team that they didn't have, which was truculence, you know, veteran leadership, and you know, experience in playoffs and winning Stanley Cups. Big guy was not afraid to be physical and very defensively sound. At the time, the trade made sense, and I think it was a win. I think down the road, the Kings also won. They got what they wanted. They 
were kind of on the downward at that point. They got a you know, almost an everyday contributing forward in Carl Grundstrom, be it you know a bottom six kind of guy. But they got Sean Dersey, who's probably going to be anchoring that defenseman for a long time, not as a top-pairing guy necessarily, but he has a ton of promise, and he's going to be playing for a while. And they got Bjorn Futt, who is more of an unknown, but probably will be making the NHL roster here soon, if not, you know, becoming an everyday guy. Um, moving forward, they made some small moves, um, and they got Nick Patan, that's not a really big one. Um, this was one where Lamorello kind of screwed them, and Dubas had to undo a bad move for the, um, for the Leafs, where he was forced to send away the 13th overall pick, so obviously a first round pick, and uh, and a seventh overall pick, a seventh round pick, excuse me, to get rid of Patrick Marlowe's contract. Patrick Marlowe was given a three-year deal, I believe, when he signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and basically from the time he signed, it was pretty well known that he was not going to be worth that in the third year, the six point two five million he was getting paid every year. So the Leafs were forced to give up a first and a seventh to get that contract off the books. Carolina took it, and they um, acquired a sixth-round pick. So it was essentially a salary dump, just straight up. But the first-round pick hurt them because that 13th overall pick, which was the highest in recent memory for the Leafs, became Seth Jarvis, who is a very, very good forward, young forward for the Carolina Hurricanes. So getting a guy like that or a number of other guys who were available at the time kind of sucks. On July 1st, 2019, another big trade, the and this is more of Dubas undoing his predecessor's work, which I expect him to do in Pittsburgh. He sent Connor Brown, Nikita Zaitsev, and Michael Carcone to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for Cody Cece, Ben Harper, Aaron Lachuk, I believe it is, and a third-round pick. Zaitsev was signed to a long-term, it was a seven-year deal at the time, worth $4.5 million every year, right after he had a pretty good rookie season out of Russia uh, with the Leafs and never really stayed at that level and regressed. And honestly, within the first year of that deal, started looking like that was a bad deal. And that was given up by Lamorello, and Dubas had to undo it. And he gave up a good young forward at the time in Connor Brown to do it. And he had the signing rights to Cody CC. He did not have to sign Cody CC, but he did, which wasn't the best move. But, you know, that, that's not the biggest point of that trade. The biggest point was, you know, getting rid of that Zaitsev contract and also having to give up Connor Brown to do, to do so. I think in a perfect world, he would have liked to have kept Connor Brown, but it was the enticing thing to have the Senators pick it up. Later that day, and this is still July 1st, 2019, uh, the bigger of the deals happens where the Maple Leafs, who had Nazem Kadri year after year kept getting suspended in the playoffs from doing dumb stuff, finally decided, uh, Dubas, that is, decided they have to move on. He sent Nazem Kadri, Callie Rosen, and a third-round pick to the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for Tyson Berry, a 50% retained, and Alexander Kerfoot, as well as a sixth-round pick. Kadri ended up having a fantastic tenure in the Colorado Avalanche, helping them get a Stanley Cup. So, you know, that's great on that part. 
Tyson Berry never really acclimated well to the Maple Leafs. And, you know, we'll get to that later. He was, you know, eventually let go. Alex Kerfoot at the time I thought was a great pickup. I thought he was a good, you know, young guy who can you can kind of just slot in anywhere in the lineup. But he's been kind of one of those like dartboard guys for Maple Leafs fans where he doesn't produce a ton. So he's easy to point to as, you know, a waste of cap space because he's making 3.5 million or was. I think he's a UFA now. Um, but overall, I think this trade was a failure, but I think it was made out of necessity because he knew he could not bring back Nazem Kadri again and let him get suspended in another playoff series and ruin the team's chances at winning a round finally again. He couldn't let that happen. So it was kind of a necessity move. Maybe it was looked at as a panic move and it cost them. But I don't I don't fault Dubas too much for that trade. Um looking moving forward okay the next big one is another one with the with the uh, kings where the maple leafs needing a goaltender make a deal they acquired jack campbell who was the backup in la at the time as well as kyle clifford from the los angeles kings in exchange for another young forward in trevor moore and a 2020 third round pick and a 2021 third round pick trevor moore has become a an electric forward for the LA Kings. He's kind of been their Brandon Tanev with a little more offensive upside for a reference for Penguins fans. He's very, you know, fast, very, you know, willing to get in there and, you know, move some bodies and cause some disturbance, I think, but also very skilled, very skilled uh, young guy. But at the time they needed a goaltender and Jack Campbell during his tenure with the Leafs was very good. He fell off at the end. He was then always coming clutch when they needed him. But their strategy of always, you know, using replaceable goaltenders and never keeping one for more than like two seasons. Jack Campbell wasn't a failure at that. He filled that role when he needed them to. Kyle Clifford was a bit of a, you know, he provided something that they didn't have, but that wasn't necessarily a necessity in my opinion. Very rough guy. But again, like Muzzin, had the experience um, just up front instead of defense. He has some experience winning, so maybe worth bringing him in. I think the locker room liked him from what I remember. But in that deal, again, I think it's a pretty, it's a draw, I'd say. The uh, the Kings in the long run got Trevor Moore, who's going to be fantastic for them. But at the time, the Leafs needed a goaltender, and they got Campbell, who performed well. This one kind of stings in uh, February 2020, just about two weeks after that deal, the Panthers sent the Leafs Dennis Malgin in exchange for Mason Marchman, which just seemed as an innocent move at the time. But, you know, Mason Marchman has become a everyday player as well as probably a second, third line guy who is uh, making a good amount of money now with the Dallas Stars, but he had a very good tenure with the Panthers and subsequently is a, I think he actually didn't have a great season with Dallas, but he's a good player. Dennis Malgan never really amounted to much, so I'd say Dubas lost that trade, but who could have predicted that one? Uh, that's just one of those ones that just kind of sucks. It's the same as the uh, Zach Hyman deal earlier, um, maybe with lesser stakes, because I think Hyman's better. Moving forward, there's some little deals here. He helped facilitate the Robin Leonard deal for the Golden Knights, where they um, retained half of his salary from the Blackhawks and then sending him to the Golden Knights. 
here we go. Off-season 2020, the Toronto Maple Leafs acquire David Warsawski, my former Facebook friend. I don't know how that happened, but that was a thing. Um, Evan Rodriguez, Philip Hollander, and Pittsburgh's 15th overall pick, uh, the 2021st, in exchange for Kasperi Kapitan, Pontus Aberg, and Jesper Lindgren. Now, as a Penguin fan, looking back at how poorly Kapitan played in his second stint with the team, we got cooked. <laughs> Penguins got absolutely cooked in that deal. However, they did get Rodriguez back in free agency. Um, they got Hollander back uh, in the McCann deal, but now he's in Sweden, I think, so he's not coming back. Rodion Amirov, unfortunately, uh, is has I believe he has cancer right now, and the you know it's kind of a, it's a, it's up in the air if he's ever going to play hockey again. Um, but purely, if you look at how poorly, little alliteration there. How poorly Kapanen played and the price at face value that they paid, it was an awful deal. But just because it didn't work out well for the Leafs because of, you know, extraordinary circumstances doesn't not make it a loss for the Penguins and a win for Kyle Dubas. Dubas got a 15th overall pick, a good young forward that had a lot of potential at the time in Hollander, the UFA rights to Rodriguez and Warsawski, which was just a roster spot for Kapanen. A guy who never really reached like solid top six potential. He was always kind of one of those middle six guys in Toronto just because they had such a backup at the top. So yeah, um, and now obviously he got claimed off of waivers by the Blues this past season. So the Penguins have nothing to show for that Capitan deal. But W on Dubas. Uh, some more draft day moves. He... Um, he moved 44th overall to the Senators for 59 and 64. And that one actually worked out pretty well. Ottawa got Tyler Clevin at 44, who, you know, seems like he's going to become a player. But the Leafs got Roni Hirvonen. Hirvonen. That's how it is. Roni Hirvonen with that 59th overall pick. And then with 64, they got Topi Nyamala. Both of those players seem to have NHL potential. They haven't reached that reached it yet. But they're also 2020 draft picks, so you know their development is a little stunted because of you know the whole COVID thing. But that's just another example of um, Kyle will, Kyle's willingness to move back and get value. And I think getting two of those players is better than the uh, one Clevin uh, at 44. So that's just an example of something to expect out of him in Pittsburgh. A few days later after the draft, this was the 2020 draft, so it happened in October. Oh, excuse me. He acquires Joey Anderson's signing rights from the Devils for Andreas Janssen. So he dumps Janssen's contract. That was more of a salary dump than anything. Uh, moving forward towards the deadline, because this was the um, backed up year in April 9th, 2021, he got Riley Nash for a seventh round pick. Good pick, but Nash didn't play a whole lot for the Leafs. I think it was a good pickup and a cheap option. I think it was more of a salary insurance than anything, but I think it was a good pickup. Two days later, this is the one that kind of stinks. They acquire Nick Foligno in a three-way deal where they had to give up a first-round pick and two fourth-round picks for Nick Foligno half-retained. And the first-round pick ended up being Corson Coleman's. 
who is a good young defenseman in the Columbus Blue Jackets system. Yeah, not a great one. It was one of those ones where they wanted to go out and get a you know veteran leader, a physical guy who has experience in the playoffs. Not a ton of experience because he was with Columbus, but you know, granted. But he brought an element that the Leafs in core and the rest of the team did not have, and he went for it. And it did not work out because Felino, I think, ended up getting injured, and they lost that playoff series, so did not matter too much in the end. Um, he acquired David Riddick for a third that same deadline. That one kind of stings because Riddick was never good with the Leafs. Acquired Ben Hutton for a fifth. I don't remember Ben Hutton doing much with the Leafs. This one, another one kind of stings. Alex Barabanov, they they uh, had they, they signed him out of Russia and then si- uh, traded him later in the season uh, to the San Jose Sharks for Antti Suomela who hasn't done much of anything in the NHL or with the Leafs. But Barabanov is a established forward for the Sharks. He's fantastic. So that one definitely kind of stings for them. Um, going to move a little quicker here. This one was a good one, but kind of goes off of, you know, just an odd event. It doesn't happen every day. Because of preparation for the trade deadline, the Penguins were looking to move Jared McCann for some godforsaken reason because they didn't want to protect him they wanted to protect jeff carter instead so the leafs were able to acquire jared mccann for just philip hollander and then leaf fans got excited thinking oh we got jared mccann we're going to keep him then they proceeded to not protect him either and expose him and seattle picked him up and now he's a 40 goal scorer good pickup it would have been a even better pickup if the leaves just said oh you know what we have this guy now why don't we just protect him Instead of protecting Alex Kerfoot or um, Justin Hall, no, they did not. They decided to let uh, McCann go. But value-wise, that was a great deal for the Maple Leafs. I'm going to move a little quicker here. Uh, Nick Ritchie, and, who was kind of a failure for the Leafs, they needed to get rid of that deal. They sent him in a second to Arizona for Ryan Zingle and Ilya Labushkin. Labushkin was good for the Leafs, so that deal, I think, is all right. They had to get rid of Ritchie. A second is a bit steep, but Labushkin is unique, so I understand it. Uh, 2022 deadline, they got Giordano and Blackwell from the Kraken for two seconds and a third. Geo ended up resigning and has been a pretty big part of that defense. I think that's a win. It's a older player, leadership. I think Giordano played a big part here uh, in you know in the series win that they got in the past two seasons for the Leafs. So I give him a W for that one. Peter Mrazek had to be dealt away from the Leafs. He was making too much money. He was a bad goaltender, so they. We had to move back 13 spots in the draft. They sent the 25th overall pick and Peter Mrazek to the Blackhawks for the 38th overall pick. Not terrible, considering how much money that the Blackhawks took on there, so I don't hate that one for him. They acquired Matt Murray and a third and a seventh for future considerations. Say what you want about, about Matt Murray, but he didn't have a terrible season this past year, and they needed another option at goaltender. So it makes some sense to me. They didn't have to give up anything other than the cap hit that you know they needed to to, to retain him. So I don't hate that deal necessarily. 
for the Maple Leafs. I think he's okay. I don't know if he's going to come back. I think they're going to look to trade him, but you know, nonetheless, this past deadline, this is the one that gets juicy, and he really decides to go all out. He acquires Ryan O'Reilly, who was twice retained, and Nolachari from the Blues. That he gives up a first, a third, a second, a fourth. Adam Gaudet, Mikhail Abramov. And I think that's it. So we bought a lot to bring in Ryan O'Reilly for just the end of the season, thinking that they were going to go on a long run. Did not end up happening. But in that series win, Ryan O'Reilly was huge. And he also brought an element that the Leafs did not have. Very, very, very good face-off, good defensive, very responsible up and down the lineup. You could put him on any line and he'll be fine. He was great for the Leafs. Unfortunately, he's probably going to walk in free agency now after they give up everything to get him. But that's how the cookie crumbles. Good deal for the Leafs, in my opinion. They gave up a lot, but he took a risk. It was a calculated risk. Uh, but, 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 but. A couple days after that, trades a first, a second Joey Anderson for Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, and two-fifths. McCabe, he got it 50% retained, and McCabe has like three years left, I think, two or three years left. He's a responsible defenseman. I don't mind that deal at all. And Lafferty is a good bottom six forward. Love that deal. Love that deal for them. Rasmus Anderson was dealt just the next day at the deadline for Eric Gustafson in the first round, and uh, Boston's first round pick. But yeah, Sandin was sent to Washington because Washington had that pick from the Orlov deal. Like I said, they move, if you think about it, Sandin was the 29th pick. They got the 28th pick. They moved up a spot, but they got some years of production out of Sandin too. Gustafson isn't going to be a player for them, so I'm not too worried about it. I mean, they invested a lot in the development of Sandin, so that's what kind of sucks about it, but I think they just ran out of room on the defense because of all the moves they made, so it made sense to me. Getting a first for him is pretty is pretty good. I think the Capitals also did good on that one, so I'd say that's about a draw there. They sent Engvall to the Islanders for a third at the deadline. They acquired Luke Shen for a third, so you can just say that's a wash. Luke Shen for Pierre Engvall, that's a good deal for the Leafs and Dubas. And that brings us up to speed. That's the trades that he's done. Overall, I don't hate his trade record. And he's definitely going to be moving around picks, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, I need to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back, and we'll continue more about the history of Kyle Dubas. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after assurance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. Welcome back. So we got through the trades of the Kyle Dubas 
history. I know that was a while, so thank you for bearing with me. But now I want to quickly go through some of the signings and draft picks that he's made in his tenure at the helm to give you a better idea of what to expect out of him come free agent day or come draft, if we're talking about draft picks. During his interim tenure, he didn't sign too many contracts on his own. He re-signed Sam Carrick. He signed Andreas Janssen to an uh, entry-level contract. And after trading for the rights of Zach Hyman, subsequently signed him to a a two-year entry-level contract. So that was good. He kind of, he helped re-sign the... um, the crop of players who, if in, that, in the 2015 season who were bound to be bad as they were trying to be bad that season. Just guys to fill out the roster and just to have uh, an, to ice an NHL team essentially where they re-signed uh, Daniel Winnick, they signed P.A. Parento, Matt Hunwick, Mark Acarbello, Richard Ponick, Byron Fraze. They re-signed uh, Kadri to a one-year deal. Sean Mathias they brought in. Uh, ba 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 not a ton there, um, but then obviously Lou gets hired. Then back in 2018, we're back at it. Um, I'm looking more f- not for re-signings, but more for you know going out and getting a guy. And the first big one actually came in his uh, first season. It was the biggest one of his tenure, which he signed John Tavares at seven years for 11 million dollars per. I know people have some gripes about that contract now. John Tavares has slowed down a little bit, both in speed and in production. However, it's a good deal. They got their captain. They brought in a guy who um, everybody thought was going to re-sign with the Islanders, but they were. But Kyle Dubas was a, and the Leafs were able to poach him and, and bring him in to an up-and-coming team. And if you look at the Leafs, the Leafs team over the past few years, imagine them without John Tavares. They've had such a hard time scoring and Tavares has actually been a cons- pretty consistent like point getter and goal scorer for them so if they hadn't had that one-two punch up down, up down the middle they probably would have done a lot worse in the standings playoff wise you know it's all it's all gravy but nonetheless um he brought in Tyler Ennis on a cheap one-year deal that offseason as well uh he had a long uh, holdout with William Nylander where Nylander didn't play the first two months of the season in that 2018 season over contract negotiations but in the final minute he signs a six-year deal on December 1st right before he was ineligible to play the rest of the season for a 6.962 uh, million dollars so roughly seven million dollars for six years that's a good contract now but at the time the whole saga of getting him to sign it kind of sucked uh ba 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 and then in February of uh, 2019, so just two months later, he's able to lock up Austin Matthews to a five-year extension worth $11.64 million, making him one of the highest paid players in the league and the highest on the Maple Leafs. That's a good deal. Austin Matthews has since in that contract won a heart, a rocket, I think two rockets, I believe. Uh, so that's a good deal. doesn't matter how much he's getting paid. He deserves every penny of it. Continuing on, looking more, he brought in um, Ilya Mikheyev from Russia and signed him to an ELC. Uh, again, I'm looking more for like signings, less than just re-signings. He did bring in Jason Spezza you know, on July 1st, 2019, 
which was a pretty big get. He signed Cody Cece after acquiring him in that uh, Ottawa Senators deal we talked about to a one-year, $4.5 million deal. It's good that it was only one year, but $4.5 million is a lot for Cody Cece. Um, he re-signed Alex Kerfoot after you know acquiring him from Colorado to a four-year deal worth 3.5. That deal looks a little rough. Four years is a lot for Alex Kerfoot. 3.5 now looking at it looks like a lot for Alex Kerfoot. I'd say that was a loss by Dubis on that one, but he had just acquired a RFA. He did need to get him signed. You can't just let him walk. So there's a little bit of pressure there. I understand it. In September 2019, on the brink of another contract holdout, but this time he gets it done before the season, Mitch Marner gets signed to a six-year, $10.9 million deal, almost $11 million. I remember at the time, everyone was crying about that one. They thought it was going to turn into the Nylander situation. A lot of money for him. A lot of money for him. And he produces in the regular season, but like we've talked about, not a playoff performer. Has not shown up when the team needs him the most, specifically in that Panther series. Uh, They re-signed Muzzin after acquiring him to a four-year, $5.625 million deal. That deal looked fine at the time and it's still if he was if he was playing it would look fine it's just that he's had so much injury trouble that he's not able to you know really play anymore so that one kind of stings but you can ltir him so you know you not not the biggest loss um as a player it's the biggest loss but i'm talking cap wise not a terrible loss muzzin was huge for the uh the leaves he brought barabanov over like i said from russia on a one-year deal and subsequently traded him at the end of the year TJ Brody was a big one for him. He signed in uh, offseason of 2020 a four-year deal worth $5 million per. TJ Brody's been great. He was great beforehand when he was in Calgary. Dubas really had an affinity for him where he tried trading Nazem Kadri for Brody back whenever Kadri needed to be traded, but uh, that didn't end up being. But he still was able to bring in Brody, and Brody so far has not been an issue for the Leafs at all. He's been a very steady hand in the back end. That same offseason, they signed Wayne Simmons to a one-year deal worth $1.5 million. He was good for that year, but then in the subsequent years, has kind of regressed. He you know, looks his age. Um, he, they brought in Zach Bogosian as well, Travis Boyd, Jimmy Vesey, Joe Thornton. Um, really trying to bolster up some veteran presence and some guys who uh, have some snarl to them that offseason. Obviously, it didn't work out for them in the playoffs, but you see what he was going for there with that with that crop of free agents. Moving on, uh, brought 2021, again, brought back Jason Spezza on his third one-year deal with the Leafs, brought back Simmons for a two-year deal with the Leafs. Um, that probably was a mistake, having, having that extra year, but hey, to each their own. Probably the worst contract here that uh, Dubas signed was Peter Mrazek on uh, July 28th, 2021, that offseason, a three-year, $3.8 million deal with uh, with Mrazek. Never performed well with the, with the Leafs, and they had to give up a first to get rid of him. Again, they got back a second, so only moved down 13 spots if you're looking at it that way. But nonetheless, very bad contract. Uh, luckily for them, Chicago, because they're so terrible, we're, we're willing to give up, uh, you know, we're, we're willing to take him on and give up the cap space. Uh, 2021 two-year deal for David Camp. He's been good for them. 
a good diamond in the rough. And this is the kind of signing that I think the Penguins are going to be looking at. Maybe not this specific player, but this type of formula. Michael Bunting, a two-year deal worth $950,000. And then he he became a top six forward for them. That's going to be the kind of deal that Dubas is going to need to find for the Penguins to keep them afloat and refresh their forward core as well. Look for deals like that. Uh, Andre Kasha got a one-year deal worth just over a million dollars. He never really worked out. Uh, mainly because of injuries. Nick Ritchie got a two-year deal worth $2.5 million. Deal, uh, $2.5 million. He didn't really work out very well, so they needed to move him. They got him uh, to Arizona in that Labushkin deal. He re-signed Morgan Riley to an eight-year deal worth $7.5 million. Right now, that looks fine. Eight years is a hard to project, but 7.5 for Morgan Riley. He has He's had some down years recently, but I think he is a solid number one defenseman. That's a good deal in my book. Moving forward, uh, after acquiring Giordano from the Kraken at the 22 deadline, he signed Gio to a two-year deal with $800,000, which is a severe discount for Giordano. And um, that's a great deal for Dubas that he was able to make that work. He also found another diamond in the rough in goaltender, like we talked about with Jack Campbell. He signed Ilya Samsonov, who was their starter this past season. Um, he was not qualified by the Capitals, although he could have been an RFA, but they did not want to qualify him. Um, yeah, $1.8 million for one year for him, and they have his rights now because he he's still an RFA eligible. So I'm sure they're probably going to qualify him, but, or maybe try to sign him longer term. I don't know, but that was a great signing. That's another one of those under the radar overlooked players that Dubas was able to bring into the fold that you can look forward to here in Pittsburgh. Hopefully, um, Nicola Obe Kubel was a forward that he signed that same day, one year, $1 million, put him on waivers and he got claimed. He didn't do anything for the Leafs. But no harm, no foul, because he's gone. They got signed Jordy Ben, Victor Mete, two one-year deals. Callie Yarncroak, he signed to a four-year deal worth $2.1 million. At the time, I thought four years for Yarncroak was a ton. That's proven to be okay. That's proven to be an okay contract so far. Uh, Brad and Zach Aston Reese right before the season for one year at $840,000. Not bad. And that brings us to the end of, you know, really significant, signings of significance for Dubas. He obviously at the end of this past season brought in Matthew Nyes on an ELC, which he was drafted uh, second round in 21, but he was bound to be a um, an NHL player and he, they used him down the stretch and it proved to be very useful in that signing. Um, but, but, but I, that's all for, that's it for signings. So let's take a quick look at his draft record because he's been at the helm here for a bit that 2015 draft, they got Mitch Marner. There was a lot of debate whether it should be Marner or Hannafin. Obviously, probably wasn't all his decision, but they got the local guy, the London Knight, the Toronto kid, Mitch Marner, brought him in. In the second round, they were able to get Travis Dermott, who was a you know, productive defenseman and still is. He's in with Vancouver now. Jeremy Bracco had a ton of offensive upside and potential, but never really made it in the NHL. That's the 2015 draft for the most part. Uh, Andrew Nielsen was a guy at one point, but it doesn't really much now. 
That was his interim year, now back full-time 2018. First round, Erasmus Sandin, like we mentioned, that's a good pick. Second round, Sean Dursey is very productive. Uh, third round, they got SDA, who, like I said, has some offensive potential upside. Still not giving up on him quite yet. Uh, Mac Hollowell in the fourth round seems to be a guy who could make the NHL as more of a depth defenseman. Pontus Holmberg as well, 2018. I've, uh, I've heard some things about him. He may be able to make it. At some point, sixth round, if you can get NHL games out of a sixth rounder, great. If not, no harm, no foul. 2019, they uh, did, they traded their first rounder, so their first pick was the second round. Uh, Nick Robertson, who the brother of Jason Robertson. Nick has like, another one, ton of offensive upside, hasn't put it all together yet. One of these years, he's probably going to make the NHL. I think the COVID uh, restrictions and you know the inability to play uh, like most players that were drafted in that year and the following year, I think that hurt him a lot. But um, I'm still hoping that there's something with Nick Robertson. Miko Kokkinen in the third round defenseman, he seems like he could be a guy. Not really sure about him yet. Mikhail Abramov in the fourth round of 2019, they dealt him in that Blues deal, but he is, he is um, some offensive upside. He may become a player. Also in the fourth round of that year, Nick Abrazese, another guy, forward, young guy who has a chance to make it nothing really rest uh in the rest of the rounds 2020 with that penguins kapanen pick Brodion amirov great pick great player just health you know it sucks it's terrible no one you, you can't predict cancer um and obviously we, we wish him all the best uh as a, as a person and hopefully at some point he be he's well enough to resume hockey i'm sure that's probably not his priority but still um, it was a fine pick at the time, just unforeseen circumstances. In the second round, Roni Hirovonen, again, good young forward. I trust that he's going to make the NHL at some point. Third round, Topi Nyamala, great pick. He in, He's won some uh, awards and some uh, tournaments as a defenseman. I think he got best defenseman in a couple uh, tournaments. I don't remember exactly which. Maybe the World Championships or World Juniors. I don't remember. But he is—he's going to be an NHL defenseman one day. Uh, rest of that 2020 draft, no real uh, names of significance. 2021 second round, Matthew Nyes at 57 overall. That might be the steal of uh, his tenure in Toronto. Genuinely, he seems to be the perfect top six left wing power forward that the Leafs are going to need in lieu of Hyman and Bunting. I think he's going to work great alongside of Austin. I think he's from Arizona too, which is kind of like a neat thing, just like Austin Matthews is too. So there's something there. Rest of that draft, not much there. 2020 draft, I don't really see any names I recognize. Um, they got Frazier Minton in this with the 38th overall pick in the second round. But overall, his his draft record looks pretty good especially considering the Penguins draft record. And we've talked about that ad nauseum the past few episodes where not this wasn't a uniquely Ron Hextall issue, but this goes back to Rutherford and Shiro. Most of the guys drafted uh, in the past decade for the Penguins provided almost no NHL games. You look, the only ones I can think of off the top that non-goalies, because they're, they're always good with getting goalies for some reason, like guys like Jake Gensel, Teddy Bluger, you know, Brian Rust, Connor Sherry may have been drafted. He actually may have been undrafted. I'm not even sure. But 
the fact is they need to have be able to draft guys that other teams are overlooking and get some value with some later picks. They so often don't keep their first round pick or in the past haven't. So they really need to find guys on the margins. And that's my point here with Kyle Dubas in both the draft and its signings and trades. He has been able to find guys on the margins, guys other teams overlook, guys who may have been given a lesser role in this team, but if promoted to a higher role, can become real players. That's what he's going to need to do in Pittsburgh. He has more cap space than he's ever had. He has more power than he's ever had. I I have a feeling that this is going to work out well. We were at the 50-minute mark, and that was just the first thing I wanted to talk about. I'm going to breeze through some of this quick. Um, there have been some rumblings about what uh, Dubas is going to do with that 14th overall pick. Like I said, is he going to trade back? Is he going to keep it and make the pick because they haven't had a top prospect in a long time, like a legit top prospect? And with this draft, how deep it is, the 14th overall, you're going to get a great prospect. So should you keep it? I think it's worth considering. I don't think you should necessarily just trade it back. An interesting concept that got brought up was the goalie situation. You know, Dubas mentioned at his press conference, you know, he's going to consider keeping Jari. He wants to look at what's all available between free agents and trades in the goalie market. And if Jari's the best option, make an attempt to bring him back. But the guy who I, the, whose drum I've been banging for months now was Jeremy Swayman. He was half of that unbelievable goaltending tandem in Boston. If I don't know what he's going to cost. He's an pending RFA, so you can't just sign him outright. You have to uh, offer sheet him. And would he even want an offer sheet? Teams don't usually do that. I don't think Dubas would be, you know, be willing to do that. But can you swing a deal with Boston? Can you trade for him? If you did a $5 million offer sheet, I think it's like a first and a third or something like that. Would you do 14th overall for Swayman? Would you do next year's first for Swayman? Would you do some combination of, we, we don't have a second this year, not we, the Penguins. The Penguins don't have a second this year. Do you give se- next year's second and something else? Do you, would you give up o- Owen Pickering for Jeremy Swayman? Just some thoughts, because he's so, he's so focused on getting younger. Swayman's younger than Jari. Jari might seem young, because he hasn't been around a ton here in Pittsburgh, but he spent a lot of time in Wilkes-Barre. He's an older. He's getting older. He's not old yet by any means. He's not thirty, but he's getting there. Swayman's younger. Swayman's better. His numbers are just straight up better. His deep analytics are better. His surface level goalie stats are better. I want to know what Dubis, and more importantly, what you, up the Penguin fans, feel about. How do, how would you value Jeremy Swayman? How much would you be willing to give up for Jeremy Swayman? The Bruins are going to have cap issues this offseason. They're going to have, have they have overages from this last year. Can you swing something? I think you can. I don't know if I would go 14th overall because that seems a bit high considering how good this draft is. But, you know, maybe you think about it. Maybe you look a little deeper. I don't know a ton about Owen Pickering. I know he was our only first-round pick 
that we've held on to in a decade, other than Sam Poulon, who hasn't really done much. But maybe a second in Poland, maybe? I don't know. Maybe the Bruins believe in him more than we do. I don't know. Not we. I'm not on on the team. I got to stop saying we. Um, but that's just a conversation I want to have soon down the line too. Is what is Swayman worth? So I'm, I'm bringing him back. I know I had a few weeks off where we were on Dubis watch, but now we're back on Swayman watch. We're back on it, including watch things that we're looking out for. Penguins still don't have a GM. <laughs> which doesn't really matter. I don't think much. Uh, Dubas has the interim tag. I'm sure he'll find somebody in the next month, month and a half that he'll give the title to, but the decisions will be his. But one guy who was rumored to be joining the Penguins is Jason Spezza. And Friedman and basically every other insider I follow has talked about how it's basically already set in stone in some way or another Spezza will join this organization. And there was some contract issues potentially because he still has a contract with the Leafs and he resigned himself. Will he be able to just up and sign with another NHL team? There may be a work around that because the Penguins also have a conglomerate that owns them. Maybe Fenway Sports Group hires him as like an advisor or a consultant you know, in, indirectly from the Penguins. And you still get him on board. But I, I feel like it's going to happen. It sounds like all the signs are pointing to Spezza joining the team in some role. Maybe down the line as a general manager. I don't think he's experienced enough to be a general manager yet at all. He had one year in the front office. I think they're still going to look for a more experienced uh, person with front office experience in the GM role. Um, maybe not a former GM necessarily. Looking at you, Cam Lawrence. But um, something like that. Someone that who has been in a front office for more than a single year. Um, Memorial Cup just wrapped up where the Quebec Ramparts and uh, they, they won the Memorial Cup of the QMJHL. It's Patrick Ross, uh, Patrick Waugh. Oof. Patrick Waugh's team winning the Memorial Cup. And there's a ton of rumors that he's going to join some team in the NHL. There's not a ton of openings anymore. The Rangers still have an opening. Blue Jackets, I think, technically have an opening, even though it sounds like it's Babcock's job. Um, and I was looking at the Memorial Cup. I was like, oh, are there any Penguins on any of these teams? And the answer is a surprising no. <laughs> not a single Penguin prospect was on any of the four teams in the Memorial Cup between the Ramparts, uh, the Thunderbirds, the Kamloops Blazers, and the Peterborough Peets. However, the Blazers, who were the hosts this year, are co-owned by Mark Recchi and Jerome McGinley, two former Penguin legends, you know, Mark Recchi and Jerome McGinley. couple uh, legends to put on the uh, skating Penguin triangle logo. Last thing I want to talk about, uh, bu- 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 the finals, Stanley Cup finals, the Vegas Golden Knights, Phil Kessel and Teddy Bluger led Vegas Golden Knights, have a 2 nothing lead in the Stanley Cup final. Not what I predicted. I was totally on board with the unstoppable train. Florida Panthers are going to win it all. Did It is not looking good right now. It's not over yet. They still have uh, three home games left, you know. So I'm not giving up on the Panthers quite yet. Not quite yet. Um, 
but it's been a great series. So physical. Last game, I wish would have been a little closer because the Golden Knights just whooped the uh, Florida Panthers. I like think it was 7-2. But yeah, very, very, very good series, just like everyone imagined. I'm looking forward to seeing game three and four moving forward. Going to be fun, good stuff down in Nevada and South Florida. Florida. Um, quick programming note. I know I'm doing this on Tuesday a day late as well this week just because I was busy yesterday. Um, expect the same next week. Don't think I'm going to be able to do a Monday episode next week because I'm going to be away over the weekend and I don't get back until like midday to late Monday, I believe. So I don't expect to be able to uh, do this and have this up and ready on Monday. So expect another Tuesday show. But also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have an article out, or it's going to be out later today, with um, pro sports uh, fans slash fanatics. I will post the link when it's completely uploaded, but it's essentially more in-depth of what I was talking about earlier, about Dubas' experience in becoming a, an executive in hockey, and what how essentially how what he was able to do with the Leafs would translate well to the Penguins, you know, and not to give too much away. I've talked about it before. The core in Toronto was what let him down time and time again. The core in Pittsburgh, when the spotlight is on, doesn't crumble like that. It was the supporting cast this season that completely crumbled. Anything outside of the top six and, you know, Latang and probably you could throw Pedersen in there too. Everything outside of that crumbled. And I think Dubis is, like the title will suggest, Dubis is uniquely fit to be the Penguins general manager. I think it's hand-to-glove perfect fit, as I've been talking about for weeks now. And now it's finally a thing. Yeah, so that's all. I'm about to hit the one-hour mark, so I'm going to stop now. Thank you for listening. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Lucas Wester at pens underscore cast. Um, yeah, that'll be it. Thank you. Bye-bye.